has been pulverized by Russian fire for six long months. Despite major defeats, Russia has been unrelenting at trying to capture the city in the Donbass. The war here has descended into a muddy, wretched mess. Soldiers shoot at each other from trenches and foxholes. And just outside the city, Russians try to dodge grenades dropped on top of them by Ukrainian drones. It's remind me a uh, situation of the First World War. Retired Ukrainian Colonel Sergei Grabsky says Russia is using century-old tactics, sending waves of conscripted men, paid mercenaries, and even drafted prisoners to their deaths. Putin wants a victory, he says, and the body count doesn't matter. There is only one option where is that success may be shown because it was a political target and they must do that. Ukraine's losses in Bakhmut may be 50 to 100 dead every day, say analysts. Russian numbers could be four times that. So you spoke exclusively with the former president of Ukraine, Petro Poroshenko. What is he telling you? I'm definitely for negotiation. Okay. But uh, we have a very great negotiator from Ukrainian side. He is a top diplomat. And the name of this negotiator is Armed Forces of Ukraine. We have a very successful tour negotiation when we throw Russia away from around Kyiv. Russia said that that was a gesture of goodwill. Second round negotiation was when we threw Russia away from Chernigov, Suma. Third round was when we threw Russia away from the Kharkiv region. And a few days ago, it's happening that uh, this negotiator threw Russia from Kherson. So you think the armed forces of Ukraine can retake the Russian-occupied areas uh, with support I, from the international community? I have no doubt. Ukrainian forces has a totally different motivation. Our soldiers fighting for our soil, for our families, for our children, for our uh, women and wives. And Russia has no motivation, and they cannot even explain why they are on Ukraine and so what they are looking for. podcast i'm your host john hendricks i have a special episode for you guys on with me is miko who was on a couple of months ago and for those of you who listened to that episode uh you know that miko is an active duty ukrainian special forces soldier on with us today is miko's teammate uh quebec and um you know we spoke about miko's story uh the first time uh, and now we'll talk about uh, Quebec's story and and then some other things that we got for you guys. Uh, what's going on, guys? Uh, hey, everybody. Hope you're going to have, have fun and uh, good evening to everybody. Hey, it's Dennis. Thank you to invite me and appreciate. All right. So the first time that we did this uh in addition to speaking about uh, some of the things that were happening in the war, uh, we also spoke about Miko's story and uh, and sort of his beginnings and, and everything that led up to the war, including after. Uh, so, Denny's, let, let's talk about 
what led you into the military in Ukraine? So uh, when I was uh, 18, uh, the war became, I mean, like 2014. And how I feel right now about past, I didn't have any other choice. And I joined the army and become my military way. And still I'm on this way. Uh, so when you joined, because I know when like when Miko joined, he was doing something slightly different. Uh, did you go into the army right away or were you doing something a little different? Like, how was that, that whole process? Uh, the process very easy. Uh, the war become, uh, we, we watched on the TV how it, how it uh, did here, like Russians, uh, terrorists occupied it. Uh, Slavyansk, and I just, uh, I had some friends in the army, uh, they were served in special forces, and I uh, called them and asked, can I join the, the unit, uh, because I want to fight, and they tell me, yes, come to us, and it, how it was, and I came uh, in some regiment, special forces, and I uh, passed some physical training and psychology and I was proved in that unit and I become uh, like a military. It's very, very easy way because uh, the war, war started and uh, not many, many people want to, wanted to join the army and they took me easy. Okay, and, and this was in 2014, right? When the, the fighting began? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and did, did you guys know each other then or did you meet recently uh, when the, the, they fully invaded? Uh, who, who? Mika and me or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we met each other on 24 or 25 February this year. Okay. Uh, yeah, before we didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I only heard about Quebec because uh, he's some mm, he's somebody like uh, he's legendary guy in Ukrainian military culture because mm. uh, he first start um, to observe uh, and talking about uh, military stuff. In, in Ukraine army, you know, just starting to uh, post some uh, literature, uh, post some videos about equipments, tactical shooting. So um, I know him before we met. Okay. And, and you're talking about like on Instagram and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was the first. What is the account? Uh, it's uh, is the info uh, in Telegram page, uh, channel, and Instagram page. PSD info also PSD UA. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been following uh, the account for a while, so um, you know, even though I don't speak Ukrainian, whatever, I get it. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when the the fighting started in the east in 2014. Um, but it wasn't until this year that Russia fully invaded the country. Um, when the invasion began, 
Miko wasn't in Ukraine. Uh, were you in Ukraine when it started? Yeah. No, I, I wasn't, but uh, then he asked you. Yeah, yeah, I, I was um, in Kyiv uh, and uh, me and my friends uh, who were also like ex-military, uh, not on duty, uh, we knew that war become. And we didn't know when exactly, but we knew that it will be. And uh, before we spoke and have had some discussion, what we're gonna do when they, uh, when the Russians uh, started, uh, how to say, they fight. Invasion. Yeah, invasion. Yeah, we didn't know exactly the day, but we were ready, and we talked. Where, where we will meet each other and what we gonna what we gonna do so it wasn't a surprise for us and we were ready uh, also i was in kiev and at the first day when uh, at 4 a.m in the morning they started uh, shooting missiles and the first uh, battalions invaded in ukraine uh, we were ready and in the morning we meet each other on some place and we began to do active action or, or sorry for my english i think i explained no that's good that's good um yeah okay so uh, so then let's go back a little bit so you you actually did you got out of the military before the full invasion began yes yes uh before i worked in like in afghanistan after my yeah, military service. It was uh, one year ago. I was like contractor, and at uh, morning, twenty four February, I was like civilian. I work like in security industry, but I'm not active military. Okay, so okay, so then let's go back a little bit. So what? So you were injured fighting um, before you got out. Is is that what led you to leave the military before the invasion? Yes, yes. Uh, I had some seven rotations uh, on the east of Ukraine before, uh, starting from 2014 until uh, uh, 2017. And 2017, I got some injury from SPG. It's like RPG, but uh, a little bit bigger. Uh, and I was uh, ser ser seriously injured, and and that. And after that, uh, I was, how to say, I finished my career uh, like a military. I finished my service because uh, I can't uh, continue my service like before because of injuries. Okay, so the so when you got injured, uh, all the fighting that before the full invasion, this is all happening in eastern Ukraine. Um, so you were fighting Russian-backed rebels, essentially? Yes, yes. We were on the missions with my group, uh, and the fighting was uh, started from the positions, with uh, enemy positions. It was close to Donetsk city, close to Spartak. And uh, during the fight, they shoot us, and I got some sh shrapnel on my face and my hand. And after that, I was evacuated, like injured guys. Uh, very fast, 
I took tourniquet on myself, on my hand, because it was bleeding. So everything was good. No any panics because we were a good train. So it's like normal. It's, you know, it's fight, it's war. So it's nothing special. We all understand that sometimes it happens and it's normal. Right. Um, okay. So then, so you were injured and then you, you left the military service, uh, but you ended up going to Afghanistan as a security contractor. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you talk about what that was like for you and, and where you went in Afghanistan? Uh, yeah, yeah. After my injury, uh, after three months, almost four months, I was, uh, how to say, when I have some injury and in the hospital, uh, the medics treat, treat my hand. And after four months, I was completely, how to say, um, ready to work back. But uh, I realized that I couldn't do the military work like before uh, because of my uh, injury. And uh, yeah, so I, I started search some uh, information about Afghanistan, about Iraq. And also I had some friends who worked over there because the work abroad is some chance for us to continue, not like service, but continue this uh, military way, military style, and also the chance to see the world, uh, to make some money, and also to improve myself like uh, in, 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 individual person uh, who likes military, who uh, who feel himself of life. Yeah, yeah. You hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Yeah, uh -huh. you're good. Yeah. So I start searching. I found and I complete some uh, introduction myself with uh, some company. Uh, I passed uh, all examination. I prepared all documents. And my first, uh, uh, first uh, contract was in Afghanistan, uh, Kandahar, Kaf. Uh, I... Uh, was like a guardian angel and I uh, had to protect uh, like uh, some uh, US uh, contractors and military uh, and I had to be between the Afghanian, Afghanian army and Afghanian pilots and between um, US military and contractors. I provide like security for them on the base. Okay, and how long were you in Afghanistan? It was uh, one year, one and a half year, uh, since 2019 until 2020. Yeah, 2020. It was great. It was incredible because I, I never have been in Afghanistan. It was some magic for me because uh, I, I saw like, uh, I saw this uh, picture only on the TV and in the movie, but at the first when I uh, become in Afghanistan, I realized that it's true, you know, and I was shocked, good shocked. Right, right, just being there. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So then, okay. So now I want to ask Miko uh, this question for you. So uh, recent, <clears throat> recently. Uh, there's been some 
articles and like Western media publications talking about uh, Ukrainian military handlers. That, that's how they phrased it in R- Russian occupied territory in Ukraine, uh, gathering information, working with the locals and things like that. Um, so I wanted to ask you about some of that and, you know, whatever you can tell us about that, you know, people will appreciate hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, good question. Thanks. Um, the partisan movement began its activities with the actual hitting of the first uh, south on the territory of our country. Um, gathering information, as you said, adjusting fire, sabotage, and uh, at critical infrastructure facilities and uh, logistics lines, um, physical elimination of personnel as well as collaborators. Uh, Such tasks were successfully carried out and are being carried out to this day in the occupied territories. Um, In my opinion, the planning and uh, execution of such uh, tasks is a pinnacle of uh, military art. Uh, as I said earlier, work is uh, ongoing even now, so I will not be able to answer uh, all the questions and uh, um, not can open many details uh, because of interesting for security purposes for guys who is working right now there. Um, who are these people? Actually, any person can be a partisan or can be in guerrilla unit, um, regardless of who he was before the occupation. Um, I think our after our victory, uh, you will learn many incredible stories about the courage, patriotism, and uh, selfless struggle of these people, believe me. Um, and um, as we talked uh, earlier, I think um, we're going to make some uh, huge podcast with a guy who is uh, worked, working, and working right now on the occupied territory um, after our victory and they occupied all the territories. I think we can, I think we should do it. Because he gonna tell you a lot of a lot of interesting things about uh, Russians, about how they work, how do how they behave on the occupied territories. Uh, I think it's gonna be interesting to hear. Um, so, as as an example, um, uh, in the march in the Kiev region when the full scale invasion. Uh, Began. Um, one guy who had been prepared in, uh, and brought to the area of the task, he was alone, uh, was able to prepare and install two EADs. Uh, you know, mm, EADs, right? Uh, electronic something? Is that like to disable uh, signals? No. Or? Uh, it's EADs, it's like, um, mm, how to say it? 
when you make explosives by yourself. Oh, IEDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I understand. IEDs. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just uh, just to make sure you got it. IEDs um, deep in the air. Um, he destroyed uh, two infantry uh, fighting vehicles. Like, uh, I mean, a BMP-3. It's... Uh, uh, Armored vehicles with uh, infantry. Um, so he destroyed two of it. Uh, a directed explosion hit the first animal vehicle with infantry on it. And uh, the second explosion destroyed another vehicle, which eventually turned over. Uh, so the guy was pursued for two days, after which he managed to escape and enter the control territory. Um, so our main task uh, is to deliver all necessary stuff for success mission accomplishing like that so in the you know in that work uh, you know where the Russian occupied territory in Ukraine um, mm -hmm. are are citizens willing to you know, like, is it easy to find people who are willing to to support your mission and, and uh, you know, what's what, what Ukraine is trying to accomplish? Or is that difficult uh, in, in those Russian occupied areas? Uh, actually, um, it can be said with certainty that the uh, population of the south part of our country, which been occupied, uh, reacted sharply negatively. Uh, to the invaders. The best evidence is the fierce resistance to, to the invaders, a mass protest that you uh, can see in March and April, and the wide network of uh, guerrilla resistance, is, uh, still, which is still working right now. Um, unfortunately, the longer the occupiers were in the, those territories, um, the more pressure on local residents increased. Um, cleansing operation, uh, arrests, uh, creating of filtration uh, camps were organized. Uh, you understand what this... Uh, I want to be sure that it's... Uh, that you understand what mean um, uh, filtration camps. Uh, you mean... No, I don't exactly... Uh... Um, actually, it's it's the same stuff that uh, the Nazis do. It's the uh, some prisons, some prisons. Ah, where, I see. Okay, so they, yeah, they send people there basically. Put, yeah, put in, uh, then looking for uh, tattoos, uh, uh, making fingerprints, uh, mm, okay. and other stuff. And if they don't like some details you're gonna you're gonna send you're gonna be sent to prison I see right all like all like Nazis do in Second World War uh, so the basements of local governments were converted into torture and interrogation chambers um, first of all they were looking for men who participated in the anti-terroristic operation on the south of Ukraine uh, since uh, 2014. Um, 
people with whom we deal told that uh, their relatives were sitting in basements and uh, subjected to severe torture. Uh, many disappeared without a trace uh, till till now. Uh, all these facts are confirmed after the liberation of the occupied territories. In general, uh, Russians plan to stay on the territory of Kherson um, for 10 to 15 months, during which time it was planned to load uh, people as much as possible with uh, narratives uh, about fraternal peoples and uh, Russian historical past of these territories and, and other shit like this. Uh, am I answering to your question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm glad that you brought up Kherson because I'm, I want to ask about that. Um, and uh, and Dennis, if, if you, you have something you want to respond, you can as well. Um, so in, in recent months, you know, Russia held the city of Kherson and they held uh, so-called elections and they said it would be part of Russia forever. Um, you know, obviously that didn't work out. Um, can you tell us anything about some of the fighting that was going on there or, and maybe how the people were reacting to Russian occupation? Um, then you want something to say? Or Then, <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe he's not. Okay, yeah, he might not okay, be. I'm gonna, okay, I'm yes, gonna yes. answer. Uh, in fact, there actually were no elections because uh, collaborators, accompanied by soldiers, by Russian soldiers, went from house to house um, where the doors were open voluntarily. Um, under fear of being shot, people signed for or signed agree with questions that uh, was on uh, the papers or blank, how to, how they, whatever they call it. Um, if uh, you did not open the door, they signed it by themselves. So actually they don't really care if, if there are people or sign those documents without people. Um, according to statistics, less than two percentage, two percentage um, of the population supported the Russians and the accession of these territories to the Russian Federation. Um, but, but. Um, what I admit, the Russian made interesting attempts to convince people of the correctness of their propaganda. Um, I will, I think I will provide a photo of one of the magazines or newspapers that the invaders uh, distributed. Um, the personality is that uh, what, what was actually interested that he, they printed uh, all magazines, all these magazines uh, in Ukrainian, but with uh, racist uh, mm -hmm. symbols and content. Um, do you understand what is racist? Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. So it, it's uh, it's the terminology of this uh, of this war because the things they do is 
it's really very similar to to NASA's stuff. So it's now called Brashit single. So they just uh, beginning to type uh, their newspapers on Ukrainian language, but uh, inside it, it was full of Russian propaganda, symbols, and uh, other shit. So they try different concepts uh, to uh, to provide provide their propaganda to local uh, population to locals okay hold on it's uh dennis are you there yeah, yeah i'm here yeah. okay all right cool now i just want to check um so just just before we continue just for the listeners um and, and we'll talk about this in more detail but uh recently russia's been targeting the electrical grids and things like that so uh, we were actually supposed to record this podcast sooner, uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, the power uh, isn't consistently on, so it's been difficult to actually be able to uh, podcast. And Denny's is if he if he breaks out while he's talking or something, it's because the the internet and the power is is going out. So I just want the people to understand that. Yeah, yeah, we don't have power sometimes, but it's not a big deal for us. <laughs> we are ready for this. Right. It's, it's zero for zero for given. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it. it's it's okay. But it's interesting, and and Denny's maybe if if you can speak to this. Um, so after uh, the city of Kherson was retaken by Ukraine, uh, I forget exactly how long after. It might have been a, a few days or something or a week. Uh, Russia started uh, bombing all over Ukraine and bombing. Um, the power grids and uh, and the electricity has been issues with that. Um, when this happens, you know, what, what are you guys thinking? Uh, what, what are you guys talking about amongst each other? And, and, uh, and, you know, as far as you know, like, what are the civilians thinking and saying as well? So uh, when they uh, began this uh, missiles attack for uh, in first infrastructure and we lost some power sometimes we become only more angry and it's only this feel we uh, feeling we feel uh, we just become angry but for us it's not big deal because we are ex-military or we military doesn't matter uh, but for people who have some small children and for all people it's a problem uh, how Mika said before uh, and I'm continuing the Russians is a terrorist they attacked not a military objects they attack civilian people and it's big crime and the people is normal they update uh, they are very fast updating for the situations uh, we buy some uh, generators uh, we try to not like survive, but we improve our skills for sur- surviving. And the people of Ukraine very strong, and we con- we will continue to fight. That doesn't matter with power or not. So, like something like this. Yeah. So uh, I, I think Russia is kind of like hoping that by doing this. Uh, the Ukrainians would lose their will to fight, but it, it's probably the opposite is happening. 
it's it's stupid tactics, you know. They they can't uh, uh, they can't fight like a man, and they don't have uh, how to say they can't move uh, on the front. They can't uh, win on the front on the battles. That's why they try to strike some civilians, and they saw that these tactics will work, but it's not true. So uh, recently, in the last few months, uh, there was a, a full mobilization of Russian forces, um, and <laughs> right. So they, yeah, you know, yeah. they're bringing all these people to try and fill um, fill battlefield losses and things like that to to have more people in Ukraine actually fighting. Um, but th- there's a there's a, a bunch of problems with that. Um, once they announced the mobilization, I think people estimated like 700,000 military-aged males in Russia fled the country to uh, Kazakhstan, um, I think Finland maybe, uh, several different countries. There was even a story of, of two Russians who got on a boat and went to Antarctica, um, sorry, not Antarctica, went to Alaska and uh, claimed asylum. Mm-hmm. So there's been a ton of problems for Russia in announcing this mobilization. It appears that, uh, by all accounts, that a lot of these people don't even want to be there. Um, what are you guys seeing on the on the front lines? Uh, you know, what's the discussion amongst the Ukrainians as far as the the mobilization and the the, the type of air quotes soldiers that are. Are, are being sent to the front lines on the Russian side. Nico? Uh, go back. Yep. <laughs> about, oh, it's a question about mobilization. Yep. Is, is it serious? Is it serious for our... Uh, so, uh, mobil- it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. No, no. Yeah, Stay. continue. Okay. So, mobilization, it's uh, some deal for us. Uh, it's uh, next step on this war and they uh, have to do it because they lose on the front. So they mobilized some people and in my opinion they will mobilize because they don't have another choice because uh, our army more powerful and more prepared for war and that's why they mobilize civilian people. But about uh, about mobilized, they are not uh, prepared for enough to become uh, like a fighters. They just civilian people who uh, get just weapon, and they don't uh, know the tactics. They didn't train uh, for now. Uh, we read some news, Russian news, of course, uh, that uh, after a couple months, it's like for now, they're uh, completed to train this mobilized, like 300,000 people. Uh, it's some uh, danger for us, but I don't think that it's w- very dangerous for us. Of course, it's 300 people people with AK, with weapons, with RPG, 
but the Russians army don't have enough modernized techniques, tanks, uh, bitters and others, and it's just infantry. Our army is ready, our people is ready. Uh, and I think it's uh, not, uh, how to say, not change uh, the situation on the front. Of course, it's very, will be, uh, it will be difficult for army to stop this. I don't know how to say this, uh, how to, uh, how to um, dis describe this. It's just people who, like, I, I mean about uh, mobilization. It's people who never was on the war. They don't know what uh, is tactics. And they, it will be more bad body on the front line. It's like, it's what we see right now on the Bakhmut. They send uh, every day for five, seven times uh, small groups uh, to try to attack our positions and all of almost all of them uh, right now laying on the ground on the ground uh, dead so it's some deal for us but i think i think that everything will be okay so uh, you mentioned that that's bakhmut that's a region in ukraine you're talking about uh, bakhmut yes. east of ukraine yeah. right now is the most uh, hot uh, place on the world, I mean, like, uh, battle. So the, the heaviest fighting is happening there? Yes, yes, absolutely. Every day, uh, many attacks with infantry, with aviation, with artillery, all the time. And daytime, nighttime, in the morning, at the evening. And if you search some video about Bakhmut on Telegrams, for example, uh, you can see from video from the drone uh, how many that's bodies of mobilized of Russian's army laying on the ground. It's uh, 15, 20 people, that's Russians, laying on the ground right now on some uh, ahead, how to say, uh, in front of our positions. And nobody cares of them. I mean, like Russian commanders, nobody cares. Yeah, it's like zombie apocalypses. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's like zombie apocalypses, they try to push our positions, uh, our army kill them, and they try again and again after a couple hours. And they changed some tactics. They used uh, Wagner, uh, and they used very interesting tactics. They sent some five, nine, ten uh, mobilized straight ahead on the, our positions. They took on themselves some fire, and other groups like specialists or some uh, experienced uh, soldiers try to move uh, in another way and attack our position from other ways. You know, it's like some small tactics using two groups or three groups uh, and uh, how to say they try to change all the time and update some tactics how to attack our positions. They don't care about people they try every day several times to attack and all the time they upgrade the tactics it's some dangerous of course it's dangerous because of uh, quantity oh. yes quantity they they have no limit quantity you know they don't care about people they they push the people they push the people and 
Of course, it's difficult for our army because how to yeah. But but we understand that the army, uh, which don't know what what they fighting for, uh, and don't understand exactly what they do in uh, in the Bakhmut, because a lot of those mobilized people are from uh, um, east of Russia, and uh, I am convinced that they doesn't even know what is where is it uh, like Donetsk region what is what is Bakhmut and um, it's I think it's all about money money and yeah, well. uh, and stupid it's both <laughs> stupidness right yeah yeah the Russian the, is sorry about Russians don't care about people and you know they moving to attack and they die and uh, even that soldiers don't care about themselves. I don't know why, but they every day they move on the uh, how to say they attacked and they all. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that they all know that they will be killed. Seriously. Yeah, it's it's like in you know bad uh, bad Hollywood movie. Uh, they just step on. On the bodies, on the dead bodies. Yeah, they try to uh, cover and, it and, con uh, and continue to make it. It's, uh, I don't know. I can, I cannot understand w what what happening in the heads of uh, those those people. It's just it's just a mess. Yeah, just yeah. absolutely empty head without brain. No. <laughs> Okay, so uh, you you mentioned um, Wagner Group. Um, some Americans may be familiar with them. Uh, they're essentially like a Russian sort of mercenary, private military, whatever you want to call them. Um, and and they've worked all over the world, including Africa, Syria, um, and now obviously in Ukraine. Um, and uh, they they have a bad reputation uh, for uh, treating people within Wagner Group badly. There, there was a video of them executing a Wagner guy in Syria uh, mm. in a pretty bad way. I think they cut his head off after they, like, you know, broke his hands and stuff like that. Uh, and it's all on video. Like, I actually watched it. Um, and then there was another video of them. Uh, so there was a... I think he was a Russian prisoner, and Wagner yeah. was recruiting from Russian prisons. And I, basically, yeah. they told them, if you fight for us in Ukraine, when the war is over, you'll be free from prison. So uh, this one guy, uh, he was a Russian prisoner, was fighting somewhere in Ukraine, was captured by Ukrainian military, and then exchanged in a prisoner exchange. And uh, when he got back to uh, the Wagner, uh, wherever it was, they executed him on video, but they did it with a sledgehammer. And they placed his uh -huh. head right next to something. I don't know what it was, a, a wall or something. And they yeah, just they hit him like with the with the fucking sledgehammer right in his head and killed him on video. And it's it's like I wonder what people in Russia think if if they actually see this stuff. Um, it's like why would you want to go fight for these guys if you do something that they think is wrong? They're just gonna kill you with a fucking sledgehammer. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, we all the the way it is. Yeah, Mika, Mika, continue, please. Yeah, it's just the way it is. It's uh, it's the message for all Russians. Just open message. What 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 gonna be and how it's gonna finish if you cross the lines. So uh, probably, probably they think like this. In my opinion, the Wagner is not PMC, PM key because PMC. Because if you work like private security company or something like that, you have a law and you can't to be like a terrorist. The Wagner is a completely terrorist uh, group. And how um, maybe you remember that uh, before in Syria, we uh, got some video when they uh, punishment, punish some Syrian uh, uh, how to say, uh, Syria, S- Syrian soldiers when they also killed him with uh, that hammer mm-hmm. and cut some hands and legs and yeah. after that fired that body. So, who is they? They are private military contractors or they are terrorists? So, right, and, and they and they they basically answer to the Kremlin. Um, and there was a. Uh, there was a time in Syria, I think it was 2018, I want to say. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a, a, a position of U.S. special operations guys. Um, I believe it was Delta Force, uh, the Army's like special missions unit, and, and the Army Special Forces. Um, and they were being attacked by Wagner Group. And they... You know, they, they radioed their chain of command and it went all the way up to the, the president's office or, or I'm sorry, the, the administration rather. And um, uh, Jim Mattis, who at the time, uh, he, he was a... Mad Yeah, right. So he was a, a Marine Corps general and then he went to work for the uh, Trump administration. And it, it had gotten directly to Jim Mattis and he spoke about this and he said like they called the Kremlin and said uh, your guys are attacking our guys like tell them to stop and then the Kremlin said those are not our guys like what, whatever they're doing that's you know it has nothing to do with us so he hung up the phone and then they gave the green light and they these American special ops went on to completely destroy I don't know a couple of hundred of Wagner group guys um, yeah I remember those yeah it was uh Involving uh, two Apaches, no? Yeah, th- yeah, I think with, so. With helicopters. Yeah, right. Yeah I, saw, yeah, I think I saw the video. Yeah, so um, so as far as like Wagner Group, um, and you know, actual fighting, uh, are you guys seeing and hearing about them like on the actual battlefield? You know, outside of uh, uh, where they're fighting now over in uh, Bakhmut. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Putin at, at points, you know, he is threatening to use nuclear weapons, uh, but then later on said that they wouldn't use nuclear weapons. Um, when he says things like that, like what's going on in your minds? Uh, you know, what are people saying? <laughs> uh, you know, actually, this is a classic of Russian uh, state and uh, government. 
It's just classic. All statements are intended for for the domestic customers uh, or consumer. Sorry. Um, according according to their doctrine, a tactical nuclear strike should have already been launched after they run away from Kherson. Uh, and personally, uh, I and many of my friends and Quebec too are ready for a similar scenario. This means uh, supplies of provisions, chemical protection suits, uh, gas masks, and uh, necessary medicine. So we are always trying to prepare for everything right now. Me, yeah, but uh, for most of people, the nuclear war, we don't feel any fear about that. We already, how Miko said before, for everything. If they use, we continue fight. Um, you know, after nine months of war, they they still don't get uh, what nation we are. They still don't understand the way of our thinking, the way how we live. Uh, when something bad happens, we unite. We unite, try to help each other and uh, try to survive in, uh, in um, that environment, you know. Uh, but they still didn't get it. So as worse it, uh, as worse it come, uh, the more united we are. So it's, yes. it's work only, only against, against them. Yeah, and, and that's it's interesting because when you go to when you go to war, right, you want to understand the the people you're fighting against because uh, that will actually benefit your war efforts. Um, and uh, I, I probably said this on the last podcast, but when and I think most of the world thought this when Russia in, actually invaded, you know, everyone thought that oh, this is going to be over, you know, a couple of weeks maybe. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, British give us British uh, uh, give us three days or four days. Yeah, yeah, and then it's like uh, <laughs> I think Putin was saying like, oh, to the Ukrainian military, you know, lay down your weapons and and you won't be harmed, like shit mm -hmm. like that. And uh, mm -hmm. and then immediately it was like, holy shit, like Russia's actually losing battles and shit and and all this crazy shit. Um, yeah, now now he he want to make some negotiations with uh, our president. <laughs> yes, I saw that today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Many it, things changes. It's it's time. interesting because um, you know in the West, uh, obviously there's always people who are going to be pro Russia and and things like that um, for for whatever reason, but mm -hmm. a, a lot of people. Including like an Elon Musk, let's say he's probably the most famous person to, to speak about this. Would say uh, the U.S. needs to push the Ukrainians to negotiate, and uh, mm -hmm. but the the and I, I understand the idea like that. You know, there's let's come to some kind of peace agreement. Stop the killing. Stop the fighting. Like I understand that, but mm -hmm. the the problem with that is is that the you guys are actually winning on the ground. Um, yeah. So it's like, if you think that you can win the war and you're actually winning, why would you negotiate 
to give up territory when you're not losing the fight, let's say, right? And then the uh, the Russians, let's say, they feel like they can win. So why would they negotiate? Uh, can I tell, please, on this answer? Sure, sure. Uh, because no agreement will be honored by the Russians. Right. Never. Never. Yeah. Uh, we had some experience for that. The Russians, completely all Russians, they are lies. And if we do some agreement, I'm pretty sure very soon they attacked again. So we can't to have some agreement with them. Only our win winner winners and only this. Um, yeah, there are two two questions. Uh, first question to you, John. How? How in uh, in the states um, is it possible to make negotiations with terrorists? No, not at all. So why why we why we would do it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's the first one. And uh, second question: What to do with uh, our fallen brothers, sisters? Our friends who died to, who died when they defend our country, our motherland. What what with them? Uh, we gonna honor them with the negotiations of fucking terrorist state. Right. And uh, it's interesting, like you know, like I have uh, a bunch of friends, you know, ex-American military and stuff like that, and. And we have these conversations privately, um, you know, mm-hmm. how much money should they be giving, and and on all these all these questions, right? And and it's it's fair to have the conversation. There's nothing wrong with speaking about it, right? And and trying to figure out like what what's the best way. And um, you know, we'll have these conversations. We're going back and forth. Um, obviously, I'm I'm for giving, continuing to give. Uh, aid and supplies and, and weapons and training to Ukraine so you guys can defend yourselves against Russia. And uh, people say things like, oh, um, you know, they should negotiate. But the, the truth is that negotiations and ceasefires would benefit Russia a lot more than, than anything else, right? Because it would allow them to continue bringing people into the country and, and, and setting up their defenses on, on territory that you guys are trying to take, right? But it's also like, you know, when because we in America, we had America was founded on a revolution. Like we fought against the British Empire and we kicked them out of our yeah. country. So it's like yeah. in in the 1700s, the same people who are saying, oh, no, we shouldn't because we had help from France. Like the French gave us supplies and weapons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like, would you tell the American revolutionaries Oh, just negotiate with the British, you know, let them keep Boston, let them keep all these territories in America. Like you wouldn't because we, we didn't. And and it's like, yeah. you know, don't insult the Ukrainians who are fighting for everything by telling them, oh, negotiate and, and let, you know, let these foreign invaders keep, you know, a part of your country. It's like, bro, like, go fuck yourself. You know, it's like uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, many people just don't know or just forget history. Um, everything repeats. 
everything repeats. And uh, I understand that everybody in the world, in the States right now, are tired of uh, news about Ukraine. Uh, they see that the uh, price for fuel is uh, growing. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that many, many of uh, Americans think that it's because the war, maybe it is, maybe it is, I don't know. But... But the main thing that right now, right now, the good is at war with evil. Uh, it should be clear because uh, Russian don't stop when they occupied. Uh, if okay, if it's uh, just just imagine if they if they win, if they occupied all the territory of Ukraine, they're not gonna stop just Ukraine. Um, so people need to understand that it's it's really it's it's realistic it's realistic war the good the good with evil so um, I want to thank the American governments other governments people who support us uh, even if in minds in their minds, they supported. Um, we are very thankful to them, and um, we need just push a little hard, and make uh, mm, next steps. Next step, just make uh, not uh, not many steps to win this war. Just uh, we need to be more um, how to say it uh, patient. Operation. Yeah, and please, I want to continue. We need to be like uh, uh, together to fight against these Russians because, like Mika said before, the Russian is terrorist. They have no forgiveness. They kill people. Just imagine, 21st century, they kill, they kill, and continue to kill the people, the Seriously. child, children. The, they have some sexual harassment to small kids. So it's like right now, it's uh, 21st century, you know, uh, that we have some, uh, we need to create some new, uh, how to say, uh, sorry for my English. Yeah. It's like, yes, yes. But they mm -hmm. continue to kill people and it's our common uh, fight. And we need to win this war, or it will be dangerous for other countries and for the whole world. Yeah, and, and I agree. that's a good point. And and really to to fully illustrate that point, right? Like, um, and I mean, look, the internet is the internet. Like, all kind of stupid things are said, and, and bad information is given, or whatever. Um, and even on big platforms. So, like, that's just the reality of what the Internet is. But, um, you know, people who are against uh, sending aid and, and money to Ukraine, let's say, in the West, um, you know, they'll say all these things like, oh, this is America's fault that Russia invaded uh, Ukraine um, because they wanted to accept them into NATO and, and have these military and economic agreements. Uh, and, and Russia doesn't want NATO on their border, right? So... For starters, 
NATO is all over Russia's border already. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Estonia, uh, I think Latvia, uh, and now you have Finland and Norway. Um, who are, so it's <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, and it's like if if all these former Soviet states, um, so all all these people, Ukraine, obviously, all these former Soviet states, they know the Russians way better than we do in the West. And the the reason that everybody, once the invasion began in Ukraine, all of a sudden, all these countries increased their military budgets, all of them, because they know uh, they've dealt with the Russians for years. Um, you know, one of the things Russia said was, oh, uh, in Ukraine, they're treating Russians badly, particularly in the East, right? But it's like, one thing they're not mentioning is the only reason Russians were there was because a couple hundred years ago they invaded Ukraine and they put Russians there and they forced everyone to speak Russian. Um, so it's it's this game and, and it's like the entire Soviet Union was like that for the most part. You had to speak Russian. Uh, it, uh, there were some rebellions in certain countries and they sent the Russian army in and they killed all these people and forced them back into the Soviet Union. So it's uh, all of these things people don't factor in. Like if it was Switzerland, let's say, a country that never fought any wars and they're always neutral, if Switzerland invaded Ukraine, I'd be like, okay, you know what? Maybe it is America's fault. But it's fucking Russia. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is what they do, you know? It's not like it's a country that doesn't fight anybody ever, you know? So it's it's just, it's crazy, you know? Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for for this point of view. It's, uh, yeah, it's like before uh, this war, they began 100 years ago and they occupied our country, the propaganda of communists uh, all the time were here and they tried to, how to say, they uh, moved some Russians people in Ukraine, they try to change our na- like our language from Ukraine to Russians. They killed many people, uh, repressions. And I think right now, this time, we need to finish with it because time become. Yeah. Um, so let, let's, uh, let's change real quick and let's talk about um, some of the the merchandise, the the patches and shirts and stuff like that. Um, so it, it's currently being produced in Ukraine. These these patches and and t shirts and hoodies. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that, and then um, I'll have it available on my website, uh, and and I'll also post about it on social media. So if people are interested in supporting um, directly, they can purchase a, a patch or a shirt or a hoodie or something like that so about um, hoodie and patches uh, the military culture in Ukraine uh, very interesting and it's going from 2014 and right now it's have maximum uh, popular uh, between the people and most of people is young youngest and we have some patches with own history. Uh, for example, like work and travel. Uh, it means like, uh, you know, about people who 
uh, military or, or, or contractors who traveling and uh, work this job. I don't know how to explain exactly, but work and travel means uh, like to traveling and fight, you know, it's a common culture for many peoples and it's help us to be like, uh, how to say, to be more closer, clo closer to each other. Uh, we have some hoodies and many people uh, who are civilian supported and they interesting of military culture and some of them in one day they will join the army because they understand the military culture, the philosophy. And I think it's very uh, important for us because right now internet, Instagram, Telegram, many information and it's help us to be uh, closer to each other and understand each other because some military and some civilians can't understand the military, but this culture uh, help us to be together. Uh, I don't know if you understand what I mean, but I'll yes. try. No, 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 I do, I do. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, subscriber, sub subscribers on like PSD info. It's some, uh, it's some like, I don't know, brand or some culture. We have some Telegram uh, website uh, where we post posted every day some information about artillery tanks about tactics we try to uh, teach some people who want by online uh, how to uh, how to say how to improve your skills uh, sitting at home or i don't know without some instructors and also we have some marriage and it's help us to pop, um, uh, to do more population military service and and something like that. Yeah. So um, you guys already have that stuff available, but um, I, I'll have it on my website, and I'll I will post about it on my social media as well. Uh, for anyone who's interested in supporting, um, and and look, all this stuff is made in Ukraine. Um, you know, they're obviously they're, they're facing incredible difficulties at the moment. Um, it's the middle of the or the winter is, is starting and uh, people are without power and things like that. So it's very difficult uh, what's happening there. Um, so if anyone's interested in supporting, it'll be on the website. It'll be on the social media. Um, it'll also be on, on theirs as well. Um, and you can check it out. Uh, so I, I want to let the listeners know about that. Um, so... Uh, Obviously, after all, you know, this time, all this time has passed uh, with the the war and the fighting. Um, you guys have had friends who were killed fighting the Russians. Um, and uh, I don't know how much you're willing to talk about it, Quebec, uh, but your father was killed fighting the Russians. Um, is this something you, you're willing to talk about? Yeah, yeah. It's not a big problem for me because it's true. So uh, he was an infantryman and he was mobilized uh, since 24 February and he did hard work. He fought, uh, he was fighting uh, on the south of Ukraine, it's like uh, Kherson region and he was 
uh, killed by on like anti tank man uh, mine, and he he did very difficult job. He uh, had some uh, military vehicle like uh, you know small small vehicle, and he did a job to evacuate it. Uh, injured and dead people from the first line and you know when artillery fight all the day uh, every seconds because uh, artillery on this war uh, we have um, a lot you know from both sides and yeah he was killed like two months ago almost three months ago and what to say? Mm, I have to say, please, one second. I want to explain clearly. Uh, I don't feel that much in, inside me because I know that is war and I lost uh, many friends. And I don't know, we need just to continue fight and we don't have any choice and we never forgiven Russians and I very uh, proud of my father because he was like a soldier and he was dead on the war like a soldier so and um, and and what was that dynamic like like uh you know, having a, a father, having your father fighting the same war as you, like, were you guys, uh, you know, were you able to communicate and, and speak about, like, what you were experiencing as you guys were working, that kind of thing? Uh, with whom is my father? Yes, yeah. Uh, we didn't speak mu uh, too much uh, because uh, on that region he didn't have uh, an internet uh, and I was on other regions. And dynamics on that front line on that time was very high. Uh, all the time, artillery, aviation, helicopters, missiles uh, were shooting on that line. And dynamics was like on the First World War or, more, uh, or maybe more. So if you uh, go on that region, you, you will not see a, and some, some, somewhere... No, any trees, you know, it's like, looks like maybe you uh, saw some photo from uh, the south or from the Bakhmut when you don't have any uh, trees, you know, just some small pieces of trees. And it means it was very high, uh, very high, how to say, artillery fights. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... Big war, big war. Yeah, I've I've seen those photos. Uh, actually, I saw one where it was like uh, it showed. Uh, I think that same region in World War One or World War Two, and it showed a picture. Yeah, yeah. like the same, but just uh, just imagine how many artilleries, uh, how to say, shuttles or that small piece of like you know, on the gun is like bullet or artillery. It's mm -hmm. Uh, shrapnel, shrapnel, maybe. Shrapnel. Yeah. yeah, how many shrapnels over there, and how the our infantry feel themselves during that art artillery attacks, and just uh, plus uh, aviations every day, helicopters every day, tanks, BMP, 
uh, infantry and it's very big pressure for our soldiers but right yeah yeah so i i just want to say i'm sorry for your loss i know that's not easy to deal with um it's and it's one thing to lose your teammate or something but to to lose a family member is, is tough um so i'm sorry for that you had to deal with that yeah thank you thank you so much but i was ready because i i like i went on the uh, war before and i realized that it's can can happen so he was like a man and that it's the main for me right um okay so then you know in recent months uh i think it was maybe like two months ago now there was a period of a, maybe it was a couple of days or a week where the Ukrainian military took, I think, like over a thousand kilometers of territory, like rapidly. Um, and it was kind of shocking to the whole world, I think, especially to Russia, um, that you guys were able to take so much territory so fast. Um, so, uh, you know, it's been a, a it's been longer now, uh, Miko, since we last talked about uh, what's happening there. Um, are you seeing any changes from the Russian tactics? Um, and, and what do you think is giving Ukraine an edge uh, on the battlefield? Uh, first of all, I think it's high Mars. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, artillery system, high Mars. Uh, is a really huge argument uh, on the battlefield. And Russians were definitely not ready for it and still do not have a strategy for how to counter it. Because since we got it in July, they they don't have any successes on the front line. Um, but you also understand that military equipment without people is worth nothing. So answering your question, the Ukrainian spirit and the ability to be flexible and uh, learn quickly is what gives uh, a uh, huge advantage on the battlefield right now. And please, I want to continue the difference between Ukrainian army and Russians. Uh, at the first of all, we are army and we have some tactics. We have real commanders and we... Uh, respect them and Russians is like you know just the people without any uh, good communication it's like uh, all tactics from the uh, second world war uh, but that's why we have some uh, success on the front and also why uh, that operation was uh, successful I mean like uh, on the Kharkiv region that's why it's first of all. And second of all, yes, they try to improve some tactics, uh, not strategic tactics, but small tactics. What we said before on Bakhmut right now, they send some people to uh, on the position and other groups try to move on other way and quiet to come closer to our soldiers and rush our positions. 
that's they they try they try so the uh the himars um so that's basically just a an artillery an artillery system like for targeting and, and things like that mm-hmm. uh, it's uh oh man it's it's very accurate and uh i saw one time how it's work and it's it was fantastic because on our side uh it looks fantastic but on other side <laughs> i think it's it's awful <laughs> but yeah it's, i'm sure it's yeah. not our problem <laughs> yeah i think they even uh I think they complained or something like some Russian officials complained like publicly about the U.S. giving those weapons mm-hmm. to Ukraine. Um, yeah, as usual, like pussies. <laughs> yes. it's, yeah, it's it's just the the way they behave. It's always always like this. They need to understand, and everybody need to understand that our generation right, right now is fighting for the right of existence of the next generation of Ukrainians without exaggeration. Uh, our strength, strength right now is unity. Um, and I think we will definitely come out stronger and more confident than we, than we were. Uh, unfortunately, the price of this is too high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, there's, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, um, but I think they estimate around 100,000 Russians have died. I don't know uh, how many Ukrainians have died, um, but the numbers are high and, and uh you know, this is just something for the rest of the world to look at. Like this, this period of the last, you know, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years in most of the world, in some places, there was a lot of war and fighting, of course, but uh, in most of the world, it was relatively peaceful. Um, but uh, I, I feel that we always forget the lessons of the past. Right. And um, uh somebody wants to conquer or control uh, something and, and a, a war starts over that. And, and freedom really isn't free. Um, yeah. As you guys know, like you're, a lot of people have to die in order to, for peace to be achieved and, and freedom to hold, you know? So uh, I just want people who are not involved in this situation to, to understand that and see it as it's happening. Cause like I said earlier, uh, our country in America, we we began as revolutionaries by fighting the British, and um, and then we had a civil war on our own to fight each other. Um, you know, not very long after that, and and then we have our relative peace now. Um, so, uh, you know, you guys are, are it's unfortunate, but you know, you, you guys are, you know have to do what you have to do. So. Yeah, we understood. We understood that that fact. Yeah, and so we continue to fight. I think we are blessed to live right now in this time. Because uh, if if not, we gonna finish with them. Who gonna? Yeah, if we're not finished with Russians now, uh, our children in future will fight. So 
we need to finish this and we need to punish uh, all Russians who involved in this. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to uh, to understand and to explain people what means to uh, to be on uh, funerals every week that we have in uh, September, October, November. Every week uh, we have funerals. We buried our friends, um, the members of our families. It's uh, it's very um, it's huge loss losses for us. But uh, as you said earlier, the freedom isn't free. We remember every of our um, friends and brothers, and we're gonna make everything to the end. Um, one thing that last time when we spoke, Miko, you, you mentioned that up to that point, you hadn't necessarily seen like any Russians up close and fighting. Uh, it was mostly like medium or long range fighting. Um, has that changed since we last podcasted? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of change because uh, we moved from Kiev region to, to south part, and uh, you know it's uh, the problems that we deal with there is the landscape because it's fields all over the territory and it's hard to make the maneuvers and uh, provide our tactics but still still we have uh, a couple of uh, really um, really success operations and um, I think after everything in, we can we can speak about it uh, in details. And then actually was the chief of our group. He was the head of our group. So we have one operation. We took part in one operation with the um, infantry where we attack uh, the Hai, or how to say it. Like in Vietnam, you remember, like uh, the US uh, troops uh, attack the heights, or highs, how to say it, like, like, a, like mountains. Like a hill, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, so we took part in one of operations <laughs> like that. Uh, so we uh, then are you here? Yeah, I'm here. It's it's like about that operation, about that attack, Russians, uh, Russians positions. Yeah, Mika. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we I think we can tell about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. People. It was, it was like one, sometimes we got some missions, and one day we. Uh, attacked from uh, three sides, the Russian positions with tanks, artillery, drones, and infantry from the 
three sides on the straight left and right. Yeah, uh, we tried, but we couldn't continue. I mean, like about, I'm telling about only my group. We couldn't con continue our missions because we came close to that positions. And what was difficult that that area was uh, opened. We had only some trees on the left and the right side. We had uh, only uh, small around. small tree lines, the the open open Area. fields all over around, and just small three lines uh, in the head. Yeah, like trees. You know, it's like road, and on the some side uh, we have some trees. I don't know what the name of this. It's like trees, many trees. And we had to move straight on the trees and attack the positions, but uh, it wasn't successful, but we tried and it's, you know, not all the missions completed like uh, successful. So it was an uh, interesting experience. We lose uh, uh, two tanks on that fight and a couple infantry was injured. But it also was experience, so it's it's war. How I um, I think we done everything. Like we have some tasks, and uh, we made it. We made it. we launched uh, three three missiles to to the Russian positions. It definitely was surprise for them because. Uh, we as uh, one of recon unit make the um, some interesting work to to get on um, that direction. It, it was I guarantee that it it was totally surprise for them. Yeah, uh, they they wait in um, attack from front line where was our tanks and infantry. And we was on their, uh, how to say, uh, right flank, right flank. Yeah, from there we was, right. Yeah, yeah, continue, please. Yeah, yeah, we was appearing very fast, making three three launches. Then uh, uh, our machine gunners start to <laughs> make rain their heads, so we can cover a little bit our infantrymen. Um, as a member of Recon Unit, it was interesting experience because uh, it was like direct attack, you know. Uh, like to clear uh, understand, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Before people, it's like from the right side, our tanks close to 200 meters for Russian positions, and it's very close. Just imagine two tanks works. Uh, for enemy from the 200 meters and also it's great experience you know like typical infantry attacks from the three sides and yeah we shoot uh, yeah, three sides. Uh, yeah 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 I just want to say that we used to work like in night times uh, doing some uh, uh, mine traps and other stuff, just adjusting fire for our artillery. I'll make some uh, uh, accurate sniper sh sniper shots, and uh, this time it was 
very interesting because uh, as uh, Quebec said, I never saw before like two tanks really attack like uh, one one two hundred meters from the Russian position direct attack and uh, it was like you know in Call of Duty game. <laughs> yeah, for, for now Ukrainian army and many soldiers, our friends have incredible and big experience, you know, because I didn't see this, uh, I didn't see before that yeah. <laughs> huge war, like here, when uh, the aviation, uh, tanks, uh, drones, uh, combat drones, I don't know, like uh, suicide drones, EAD, mm-hmm. mines, everything you can see on everything. this war, everything. Everything what you just can imagine, night fights, uh, everything. And it's huge war. I think it's bigger even than first and second uh, war, world war because uh, our army destroyed uh, almost, I don't remember exactly the number, but it's bigger than uh, 1,000 tanks. Just imagine how many tanks is it. Right. So when 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 you say when you say it's it's bigger than uh, the first and second world war, you mean the first and second world war that was fought inside Ukraine? That's what you mean, right? Yeah, yeah inside right, the right. small area, yeah. small area. So uh, all this fighting that you guys were just talking about, this happened in the south. Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, so the. Yeah, yeah, on the south. On the south region. So there's it's the Kherson region. Okay. Kherson and uh, Mykolaiv region. Yeah, also in Kiev region, and a couple times uh, we went on the east, but with small group. So, um, mm-hmm. so recently, uh, Ukraine took back Kherson city, but does Russia still control other territory in that region? Yeah. Yep. But uh, not. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's not for, for a long time. So, um, so like, if you look at a map of Ukraine, um, uh, so you said the heaviest fighting is, is Bakhmut, right? Where exactly is that? That's in the east yeah, or in the no. south? Yeah, it's, it's east near the... Uh, Malinka and Avdiivka cities, and uh, it's Donetsk region. Okay, right. And and uh, is that the furthest east that Ukrainian forces have pushed? Mm, one again, please. Like uh, so, that part of Ukraine, right? Is is that like the furthest east the Ukrainian forces are in terms of like? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, I can continue. About, uh, yeah, are you here? Yeah, yeah, we hear you. Yeah. So, so you asked about uh, the next tactics on that, like, region, what we going to do, or please can you repeat, because I didn't catch it. No, no, I, I just wanted to know if... if um if that was the, like the the furthest point east that Ukrainian forces are, uh, on the sorry, I didn't understand. In uh, 
in, in Bakhmut, right? Like that's in the east of Ukraine. Um, yes, yes. And and the Russians, they hold that territory, right? Like the Russians occupy. No, 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 not at all. They occupied it just part of that region. Okay. And they tried to take that the city, uh, and but still they can't. They just kill all. Uh, they just send that infantry and all that infantry laying uh, in front of that city. So it's just some small, uh, just part of the region, not uh, all region okay. of the next. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, cool. All right. Um, all right. So b- before we finish, um, just once again, can you guys give your social media uh, for the listeners who, who want to follow you guys on social media and, and see what you guys have going on? Yeah, yeah. Please subscribe and you can see some uh interesting story or, or information about what we're doing right now and uh, like we have some Instagram page like my Dennis Quebec and Miko Miko what do you, do you have uh, okay I'm I'm new one uh, guy in all this uh, <laughs> all the social medias but uh, I'm Miko it's my page I think we're gonna put it uh, in um podcast describe yeah yeah yeah. I'll, I'll put it so if yeah if anybody interested in it so please subscribe um and uh, other thing that i want to say that i think it would be great if such guys as uh gbrs grand thump method endeavors or i don't know lucas botkin and many others from veterans community uh, can come and visit Ukraine. I think it's a huge opportunity to share experience, uh, learn something new, uh, shoot and just have fun. Of course, we can help to organize everything. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, so again, um, yeah. you know, I, I enjoyed talking. Having and I'm, guys. I'm still, I'm still with you, John. <laughs> Yeah, come to Ukraine. We will meet yeah, you. Yeah, I, I so, think about it, honestly. I, I think about it because, um, uh, Miko, you know, I'm a photographer as well. So um, it, it would be awesome to, like, yeah. capture some things that are happening there, you know. Yeah, uh, anytime. So at uh, the last, uh, thank you for support us. And it's very important for our country. And I don't know how long, but uh, I'm pretty sure that soon uh, we will continue to fight and go to war. So thank you for your attention. Yeah, and um, thanks for this uh, possibility um, to be to be listened uh, or how to say it, to people gonna hear our our truth our story and um, story of uh, our nation, of our country uh, in this difficult time. So thank you, John, a lot. Uh, we uh, appreciate it.